This episode is brought to you by Visit Williamsburg. In Williamsburg, Virginia, there's never too much of a good thing. Whether you're a foodie, a golfer, a history buff, a shopaholic, an outdoor enthusiast, or a thrill seeker, you'll find what you came for here and more. So ask yourself, what is it you want? Discover Williamsburg and plan your trip at visitwilliamsburg.com. Hello and welcome to the program, UFO Warning. Today's topic is that now famous UFO encounter with the Navy pilots that happened back in 2004. And an interview appeared in Popular Mechanics a couple days ago, November 12th, 2019. Now, Popular Mechanics typically takes a debunker position on a lot of these issues and just flat out calls them conspiracy theories or whatever. But I have to take my hats off to him this time. A gentleman named Tim McMillan conducted this uh, interview and wrote a pretty decent article on it. And I want to take a look at that right here. And he begins the article off with the title The Witness. And you can go to popularmechanics.com and read this. I have a link also um, at, at uh, ufowarning.blogspot.com. And in there I have a link to the Newsmax site, which has a condensed, a very condensed um, rendition of the article, which is pretty decent too. And he starts off by saying, uh, what exactly did the Navy encounter 15 years ago off the Southern California coast when fighter pilots spotted a UFO? These men were there too, and it's time they tell their side of the story. And now he's going to conduct this interview with uh, five other guys that were there in the, as part of the battle group that actually saw the radar data uh, involving these UFO encounters. He says the five men share an easy rapport with each other, playfully ribbing one another while also communicating a deep sense of mutual respect. It's clear they all share the bond of having once served in the armed forces. Yet for Gary Voorhees, Jason Turner, P.J. Hughes, Ryan Weiglet, and Kevin Day, assembled together in a private group chat by Popular Mechanics, something much bigger ties them together beyond simply serving in the U.S. Navy. These men also share a connection of being witnesses to one of the most compelling UFO cases in modern history, the Nimitz UFO Encounters, an event that the Navy recently confirmed indeed involved unidentified aerial phenomena. The author goes on to say, largely overshadowed by a grainy black-and-white video and a former Top Gun fighter pilot eyewitness, these veterans offer new and intriguing details on what occurred with the Navy's Strike Carrier Group 11 as it sailed roughly 100 miles off the Southern California coast in 2004. Details that a former career intelligence agent who investigated the Nimitz encounter while at the Pentagon can neither confirm, deny, or even discuss with popular mechanics. Ultimately, these five men, the other Nimitz witnesses, could be key to understanding an event that a leading aviation defense expert says likely wasn't ours. Well, folks, this is good news because we've been waiting for quite a while for these other Nimitz witnesses to come forward. Um, so far, all we've heard about is from, you know, one or two pilots, basically, who have become celebrity witnesses. And we have to consider that uh, the sighting of these UFOs didn't take place in the context 
uh, one or two pilots just out for, uh, you know, a joyride or just out for a particular mission, say. The context of these UFO sightings, encounters rather, took place in the context of an advanced battle, Navy battle group out uh, running their uh, fleet through its paces and preparing for uh, any possible eventuality, including war. So there were a lot of witnesses to this UFO encounter. And finally, we have five of these guys have come forward. And uh, really quite shockingly to me, Popular Mechanics has done a pretty decent job of listening to these guys and hearing their side of the story as eyewitnesses to what they saw. It's just like if there was a crime, you wouldn't just want the eyewitness. If you had, if you had multiple eyewitnesses, you'd want to hear all of them. You'd want to hear the perspective of each witness from where they were at. And this is what we get with these five guys. And it really adds a lot of value uh, to what we're hearing, to the account of this now famous UFO encounter that uh, Tom DeLong and his company was pretty much given a monopoly uh, to profit from, actually. I mean, you can't find a, a video of this UFO without their watermark on it, when this actually should be uh, public property. Uh, if there's going to be a watermark on it, it should be the U.S. government's, not some private company. But I digress. Now, he goes on and speaks about the, what they call the intercept. And it says, stationed on the USS Princeton, a Ticonderoga-class guided missile cruiser. This is another ship in the battle group. As a Nimitz carrier group went underway in early November 2004 for a routine training exercise, this would be the last time for Petty Officer 3rd Class Gary Voorhees would set sail aboard a Navy vessel. Having already done almost six years in the Navy, including two combat tours, Voorhees was ready to transition to life outside the world of passionless gray metal hulls and vast leveting seas. The group was going to be deploying in a few months, and there was a bunch of new systems like the Spy-1 Bravo radar, Voorhees tells Popular Mechanics. Okay, let's just stop right there. Now, Popular Mechanics has just, has just described this as a run-of-the-mill exercise. That's not actually true. What does Mr. Voorhees just say? He says, quote, the group was going to be deploying in a few months, and there was a bunch of new systems, like the Spy-1 Bravo radar. Now, I'm not sure what popular mechanics, how they define the word run-of-the-mill, that phrase, but when you're testing out brand new radar, that's not run-of-the-mill. And this is what a lot of people thought. These UFOs were there to check were there to check out that radar. He says it was really about getting all of, all the kinks out. <clears throat> While chatting with some of the Princeton's radar techs, Voorhees says he heard they were getting ghost tracks and clutter on the radars. For Voorhees, the victim's only system technician for the state-of-the-art Cooperative Engagement Capability, or CEG, and Aegis Combat System, news of these systems possibly malfunctioning was especially concerning. Did you get that? He was the only system tech. So this guy's not a dummy. I mean, this is a smart guy and is a witness who should really be listened to. Okay, going on. Fearing the ship's brand new AN-SPY-1B passive radar system was malfunctioning, Voorhees says the air control systems were taken down 
and recalibrated it in an effort to clear out what's assumed to be false radar returns. So they were seeing these UFOs, and it was so upsetting they could not believe their eyes. They couldn't believe the equipment. Get that? Okay, the article goes on. Once we finished all the recalibration and brought it back up, the tracks were actually sharper and clearer, Or he says. Sometimes they'd be at an altitude of 80,000 or 60,000 feet. Other times they'd be around 30,000 feet, going like 100 knots. Their radar cross-sections didn't match any known aircraft. They were 100% red. No squawk, no identification friend or foe. That's what they call IFF. Sitting in Princeton's Combat Information Center, or CIC Operations Specialist Senior Chief Kevin Day, was, asked with, was tasked with the critical role of protecting the airspace around the strike group. My job was to man the radars and ID everything that flew in the skies, Day said in the documentary film, The Nimitz Encounters. On or around November 10, 2004, roughly 100 miles off the coast of San Diego, Day began noticing strange radar tracks near the area of San Clemente Island. The reason why I say they're weird is because they were appearing in groups of 5 to 10 at a time, and they were pretty closely spaced together, and there were 28,000 feet going 100 knots tracking south, they said in the documentary. Well, this comes back to what we talked about yesterday with the UFO fleets. And you know, when you look back at a lot of the media coverage of this Nimitz incident, you hear about one or two F- one or two UFOs. What you're not hearing about is that they actually were appearing in groups of five to ten. So what was spotted by the Nimitz battle group wasn't one or two Tic Tacs. What was spotted was a fleet of UFOs, and this is becoming more and more common. Now going back to the article, in another YouTube clip, Ryan Wiglet, the former leading petty former leading petty officer and power plant specialist for the SH-60B Seahawk helicopter, recalled the tone aboard the missile cruiser at the time. Senior Chief Day, his name was being called over the comms. No bullshit, every two minutes, Wiglet said. I recall hearing something like a big, real-world scenario was going on, but I just didn't really understand. While Day and their Princeton's air traffic controllers continue to monitor the strange radar returns, Morris says he began to take the opportunity to use the ship's advanced tracking systems to catch a glimpse of whatever these objects were. Are you getting the feeling that these things were really getting people's attention? It was almost like an Independence Day scene or something. These guys were seeing a fleet of UFOs on the radar. It's very clear. All right, back to the article again. When they'd show up on a radar, for he said, I'd get the relative bearing and then run up to the bridge and look through a pair of heavily magnified binoculars in the direction the returns were coming from, describing what he saw during the daytime. Voorhees says the objects were too far off to make out any distinguishing features. However, he could clearly see something moving erratically in the distance. I couldn't make out details, but they'd just be hovering there. Then all of a sudden, in an instant, 
they dart off to another direction and stop again, or he says. At night, they give off a kind of phosphorus glow and were easier and were a little easier to see in the day. So you see what's going on here? It's Voorhees, he's seeing these objects on the radar. He's grabbing some heavy-duty military binoculars. He's going outside, he's looking up in the sky, and he's seeing this fleet of UFOs. And he's doing it at day, and he's doing it at night. So this went on for several days. This appears to be a fleet of UFOs that was keeping this Navy fleet under surveillance. And it looks like they might have been testing that high-tech new radar the Navy was trying out. Who knows? By November 14th, I remember this started on the 10th. This starts on November 10th of 2004. And now they're saying by November 14th, that's four days later, the strange returns had been continuously showing up for close to a week. With an air defense schedule for that morning, Day convinced his commanding officer to let him direct aircraft to attempt an intercept of these anomalous radar returns. Day's decision led to the VFA-41 Squadron Commander, David Fravor, to encountering what an unofficial executive summary later described as an elongated leg or a tic-tac shape with a discernible midline horizontal axis of approximately 46 feet in length. Folks, this is not ball lightning. These are actual objects that they've encountered, and they appear to be physical objects. They can describe them clearly by their size. And you notice here that the pilot just didn't run into these things. He was sent up there to investigate. So that's why we have that tape. These UFOs were obviously um, observing the fleet. And after almost a week, a couple of the fighter pilots go up to observe them. And they don't leave. And we know what happens next. Uh, they, they get into all kinds of crazy maneuvers. They fly around the um, fighter pilots. Maybe they were trying to communicate with them. Maybe they were just trying to, to demonstrate how much superior their crafts were. Who knows? With the intercept too far away for even high-powered binoculars, Voorhees, Day, and the rest of the Princeton could only listen to the live communications chatter as the unidentified craft effortlessly evaded the two fighter jets by demonstrating an advanced acceleration, aerodynamic, and propulsion capacity capability. Outmaneuvered by an object that's colloquially become known for the shape as the Tic Tac, Fervor and his wingman returned to the USS Nimitz. In a subsequent flight, another FA-18 Thanks to a state-of-the-art airflow pod, Chad Underwear, Underwood successfully captured video of the anomalous vehicle AAV. For 13 years, the incredible story of the U.S. Navy being harassed and outperformed by UFOs went largely unknown by the, by the greater public. However, in December 2017, after To the Stars Academy of Arts and Science, a verbosely named UFO, <laughs> verbosely, I just love that word, named UFO Think Tank, founded by former Blink-182 frontman Tom DeLonge, and the New York Times published a 1 minute 16 second clip of the Atler video. The world suddenly became very familiar with the Nimitz encounters. What hasn't been discussed, however, is what the Nimitz enlisted witnesses say happened after the now-famous intercept with the Tic Tac. 
Their testimony raises many more questions, debate, and even some controversy. So, we see what's happened so far. These UFOs have been observing the battle fleet for nearly a week. Finally, they send up a couple pilots to observe the UFOs. Now, previously, they'd been able to see the UFOs with the binoculars, but they say that they were not able to see the encounter between the Navy pilots and the UFOs with binoculars. So, it sounds as though the UFOs uh, took off in some sort of almost like a play chase with the uh, American fighters to where they were uh, on radar but out of view. So, going back to the article, it says, it's subtitled, The Mystery, like many of the other sailors aboard the USS Princeton, former Petty Officer 3rd Class Jason Turner knew something was up, but didn't exactly know what had been going on inside the CIC. That's that's the Command and Control Center. It was only during a chance encounter while delivering supplies to the ship's signal exploitation space that Turner found himself being another unwitting witness to the Nimitz UFO event. A video playing on one of the console monitors immediately caught Turner's eye. In it, the Tic Tac performed a number of seemingly impossible maneuvers not seen in the brief clip released in 2017. Turner described what he saw in the Nimitz Encounters documentary. Now, just let me comment here, folks. The clip that we've been given, that's been dribbled out to Tom DeLonge and his former Deep State employees, friends, whatever you want to call these guys, that's nothing compared to what actually happened. But what's a little bit irritating about it is how they've been able to take that dumbed-down version and monetize it. And like I've said before repeatedly, everywhere you go, you find this U.S. Navy video now with Tom DeLong's company's watermark stamped all over it. A bit annoying for UFO investigators like myself. Back to the article. This thing was going berserk, like making turns. It's incredible the amount of G-forces that it would put on a human it made a maneuver it made a maneuver like they were chasing it straight on it was going with them then this thing stopped turning just gone in an instant the video you see now that's just a small snippet in the beginning of the whole video but this thing it was so much more than what you see in the video that's for mr turner even now turner still appears visibly disturbed by whatever it is he saw that day. I asked a good friend of mine who worked in that area, is this the training we're going through, he tells Popular Mechanics. No, the friend replied, this is real life. You see, these UFOs were so amazing to these guys, they were so out of the ordinary that nobody could really even accept it as, as reality. That's the kind of shock that it give, that it gave people. The article goes on. Equally by chance, during the time of the now famous intercept, after being called to have a conversation with another detachment, Ryan Wiglet found himself in the inside their Princeton's CIC. According to Wiglet, a video of an FA-18 trying its best to catch the elusive Tic Tac was playing on the monitors. Like Turner, Wiglet says that he what he saw was a lot longer than the brief clip released in 2017. I was there for quite a while, and it was on the screen the whole time. I could not tell you how long, but it was playing when I went into the com- when I went into combat, and it was playing when I left. Wiglet said.
Voorhees tells Popular Mechanics that he too saw a much longer and clearer version of the Atfler video through the ship's top-secret LAN network. I definitely saw a video that was roughly 8 to 10 minutes long and a lot more clear, Voorhees says. Did what he... Did what he saw, did what he see resemble any type of conventional aircraft? Uh, no, he says with a laugh. In the video I saw, you got a good sense of how the pilot was having a difficult time keeping up with this thing. It kept making tight right angle turns. The most shocking claim these Navy veterans make is in what they say happened with all the data tapes for the various systems that recorded these UFO events. Miles away from Voorhees, Day, Turner, and White, on the deck of the USS Nimitz aircraft carrier, Petty Officer Patrick P.J. Hughes was unaware of the unidentified objects the carrier group had been dealing with for the past several days. Instead, as an aviation technician, one of Hughes' jobs was to secure the hard drive data recorders from the airborne early warning aircraft, the E-2 Hawkeye. We call them bricks, but they contain the software to run the airplane. They also record or can record a lot of the data that the air crew sees, come, sees during the flight, said Hughes in the YouTube interview. On November 14th, as Hughes performed his routine task, he was unaware that the E-2 hard drives he was securing away in a classified safe had just come from the Hawkeye that day first tried to use to intercept the mysterious UFOs. Shortly after securing the data bricks, Hughes said he was visited by his commanding officer and two unknown individuals. <laughs> Sounds like men in black, huh? They were not on the ship earlier, and I didn't see them come on. I'm not sure how they got there, Hughes said of the two men. According to Hughes, his, commander office, his commanding officer told him to turn over the recently secured hard drives. We put them in the bags. He took them. Then he and two anonymous officers left, Hughes said. Inside the Princeton, Voorhees had a similar encounter. These two guys show up on a helicopter, which wasn't, which wasn't uncommon, but shortly after they arrived, maybe 20 minutes, I was told by my chain of command to turn over all the data recordings of the Aegis system, says Voorhees. In addition to turning over his data tapes, Voorhees says he was told by this chain of command he needed to reload the recorders for the ship's advanced combat engagement center because it had also been wiped clean. Along with the optical drives, with all the radio communications, they even told me to erase everything that's in the shop, even the blank tapes, Voorhees says. The only other time he can recall having to turn over his tapes like this was after an aircraft carrier crash during one of his combat deployments. Up on the Princeton's flight, up on the Princeton's flight deck, Weigel says the two men who initially arrived on the Princeton via helicopter were wearing generic flight suits. According to Wiglet, the men boarded one of the detachment's SH-60B helicopters and flew off for a time before returning with a bunch of bags. Wiglet says the two men retired to the Admiral's quarters on the Princeton and a guard was staged outside the door. 
Wow. In a January interview on the Fighter Pilot Podcast, Commander Dave Fravor told fellow FA-18 pilot and host Vincent Aliello that the squadron's videotapes of the Tic Tac intercept had mysteriously vanished. Fravor said he believes it's likely the tapes were inadvertently recorded over. Probably not. (laughs) Don't you think? You know how it is when you go to and from cruise, Fravor said. Someone goes, what are these? Hey, they look like blank 8mm tapes. We'll just use them. And in an interview with Popular Mechanics, Alio detailed the processes for securing flight tapes as Fravor mentioned. Though these materials were classified, a number of different qualified squadron personnel would have access to the safe where the tapes were would have been kept. It's very common even for tapes you've marked and want to save inadvertently to get put back into circulation. Okay, so the article goes on quite a bit there and almost seems like it's trying to play over the fact that a couple guys came down and took all of the UFO data. And I'm not going to finish reading this article. It goes on for some time. Um, you can go online. I have a link there from the podcast, ufowarning.com. But I think the main thing to take away from this article is is that we have five more witnesses to this Nimitz UFO sighting. And all of them say the same thing. The tapes, the original tapes, were much clearer. And if you look at some of the video from the insides of these uh, Navy ships, uh, what they're using for radar is state-of-the-art. They're not using... The video that the public was giving looks like something from like 1970. So we're being soft-sold. They're not telling us how clear the pictures of these UFOs are. These guys really saw something. That's why everybody was scared. Everybody was concerned. And what happened after the sighting was people, a team of two guys was sent in. They cleaned the data. They cleared the data. They destroyed the evidence, or they secured the evidence. And now 15 years later, a little bit of this dumbed-down stuff is being dribbled out through Tom DeLong's company. Really not the way something like this should have been done. If you look at how things were done, as far as this whole Nimitz UFO encounter was done, did it really follow protocol? And then when someone goes back and questions them about about how the data was handled, even though Popular Mechanics has five eyewitnesses there that say this is what happened, they go on the article and spend another couple pages basically trying to explain why these guys are mistaken, that nobody was trying to cover anything up. It's all a big mistake. So what I draw from this is the evidence of the UFO encounter is so clear, it's so overwhelming, that in the face of multiple good eyewitnesses, even a magazine like Popular Mechanics, which constantly debunks anybody questioning the official narrative, is conspiracy theorist. Even that magazine has to recognize these multiple reliable eyewitness accounts. This UFO encounter with the Nimitz battle group was a UFO fleet. It was clearly seen by multiple eyewitnesses and it interacted with the pilots and afterwards the wit- the data to that was either destroyed or secured and whisked away, after which it was dribbled out to a private party, a private company, whose employees were former government employees. Folks, this is not this is not disclosure. Far from it. This is a clear case of cover up with the evidence and controlling 
the narrative. But the narrative is getting out of control. And even mainstream news like Popular Mechanic has to at least in part recognize what actually happened that week back in 2004. Until next time, this is UFO Warning. Over and out.